to review the papers this morning. We have Professor John Crown, oncologist and a former senator, a current senator for the Labour Party, Aon O'Reardon, and Margaret E. Ward, entrepreneur, CEO of Clearing, and a former business journalist. If you're Sting fans, by the way, I apologise. If you're, you look, look, Margaret, you look like a Sting oh, fan. Oh, I kind of like Sting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you, you can listen to that later on and, and be the one of the people who might enjoy it. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We'll go through the papers, which I have to say are surprisingly lacking on their front pages in stories about Donald J. Trump, which has animated me over the course of the last 48 hours. Uh, Not so much the newspapers. They do go into detail on the inside. But let's talk about what's on the front of the Sunday Times to begin. Varadkar raps Kenny for Sinn Féin overtures. Leo Varadkar has implicitly criticised the Taoiseach for his comments about going into government with Sinn Féin just as Enda Kenny tried to shut down the controversy. The Minister for Social Protection, who is favoured to succeed Kenny as as Fine Gael Labour, beg your pardon, said a final decision about entering coalition. Sorry, I was, <laughs> I, I was giving you another headache there. Just woke me up there. Yeah, should not be made by the leader alone, but by the Fine Gael party as a whole. So uh, Leo is certainly making noise there. There is reference to Trump on the front page of the Sunday Times. It's further down saying Donald Trump is engaged in an extraordinarily diploma- extraordinary diplomatic row with Prince Charles over climate change that threatens to disrupt his state visit to Britain. We are clearly on a different planet when the diplomatic incident involves Prince Charles and climate change. But seemingly, members of Trump's inner circles have warned officials and ministers that it would be counterproductive for Charles to lecture Trump on green issues and that he will erupt if pushed. You shouldn't be sending anyone into a diplomatic situation if there's any risk of them erupting at all, I would argue. Uh, Leo Varadkar uh, features on the front page of the Sunday Independent as well, um, quoting uh, a similar statement. Uh, he was welcoming Andy Kenny's statement yesterday about Sinn Féin and not going into government because they don't like them at all. In politics, you have to make compromises to get things done, says Leo, but if you don't have red lines, then you stand for nothing. This is a red line for me, and they list all the other Fine Gaelers who think Sinn Féin uh, are not fit for government right now now as well. Garda Probe struck off Doctor Who forged prescriptions is another story on their front page. Uh, the Sunday Business Post, big headline there, AIB's bad loan blitz. AIB is planning a major purge of a non-performing 1.8 billion loan book, triggering fears amongst borrowers that their loans may be offloaded to vulture funds in advance of the, bla- the bank's planned privatisation. The bank is preparing to sell hundreds of investment properties as a first stage with venture fund service amongst the most likely bidders. Up in the top there, Ross, reopen my local Garda station before any other. Uh, Minister for Transport Shane Ross has said the case for reopening a Garda station in his constituency is more compelling than any other station in the country. It comes as the Minister is refusing to intervene in the bus dispute, despite the fact that the company's decision last Friday to cut workers' pay is set to lead to strike action and chaos for commuters. But in an interview with Hugh O'Connell, the political correspondent, uh, Shane Ross said he was impatient for the reopening of Stepaside Guy, the station in his Dublin Rathdown constituency, but was still confident it would happen. So in other words... He's going to intervene over the Garda station. He's not going to intervene over the potential for a bus strike. And that bus strike is on the front of the Irish Mail on Sunday. 104 off sick every day in bus air. An internal report, millions lost. As 24,600 sick days racked up in one year. Bus Aaron's lost more than €3 million last year. A staff... Uh, racked up those days of sick leave. The internal report showing on average employees at work in the company had an extra two weeks off in sick leave every year. 
Didn't realise that driving a bus would be that bad for your health, but seemingly it is. We'll have the MBRU on the programme later on. I'm sure that they will have something to say about their figures. And the Sunday World goes to the headline, Public Enemy Number 100 million euro. That's the cost of a Garda crackdown, according to the newspapers. So we have to begin with Donald Trump. And uh, we have two Americans, uh, American-born citizens with us in studio. And uh, it's only fair that we begin uh, with both of you. What has your reaction been, Margaret, to what we have witnessed over the course of the last 48 hours since he sat down and signed an executive order that banned immigration from certain countries, certain countries that have predominantly Muslim populations? So my main reaction has been that this is a big propaganda campaign and a campaign of terror and that it's a distraction and that that's what Steve Bannon and Trump are doing. So basically they're creating a lot of noise and uncertainty um, to really scare people so they can't focus on really what the bigger agenda here is. Is so. What happened is they banned uh, anybody anybody who was a refugee from coming into the United States for 120 days. Um, if you were from one of seven Muslim countries, uh, you've been banned for 90 days, including if you already have a green card. So, say you have somebody who's from Syria working for Google in 10 years, and they tried to come back into the United States uh, from Friday when he signed the executive order. They were stopped at airports. Now, there have been protests all over the United States at the airports about that. Um, But uh, he claimed it was because he wanted to keep uh, radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States. But not one of the countries that provided the 9-11 bombers, and I am from New York, um, is from any of those seven Muslim countries. was from Saudi Arabia. Right. That's so he wouldn't not have banned. been mad. No, <clears throat> the ones on the list are Iran, Iraq, Libya, uh, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. And the 9-11 bombers were from Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Egypt, and Lebanon. So why is that? A lot of it is business interests. Where does Trump have business interests? So from my point of view about Trump and all of this is follow the money. Follow the money. What is this all about? This is about a bunch of American oligarchs, wealthy billionaires surrounding Trump and others who are going to make a lot of money about what's going on. Uh, John, I I think I'm right in saying that when the options were put to the American electorate, you would have argued that Trump was the better of the two in a, in a bad love. Would that be a representative? Oh, no, that's not true at all. No, Where would you stand I, on I, Trump? I thought, the, I thought they had the weakest candidate field in history in the election this time. I thought neither candidate was particularly well qualified okay. for office by virtue of either personal professional accomplishments or, you know, record of ethical behaviour. Um, Who was the uh, lesser of the two evils then? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's I, hard I, to tell. I, I, can I just say one thing to you? There was just one thing that really frightened me about Hillary. One thing. The moment when she said that she wanted to enforce a no-fly zone over Syria. And I'm thinking, whose planes actually are you going to be shooting down if you enforce a no-fly zone over Syria? It's not the Syrians. They hardly have any. It's Russians. Do we really want somebody who's going to go like eyeball to eyeball and try and push the Russians at this huge moment of international tension when there are about four big flashpoints between the, the West and Russia? And in truth, in situations where there are very nuanced arguments, with two sides to the argument in most of the cases, we really need somebody, I think, who wasn't going to do that. So I had a little personal terror of of her attitude on that. Uh, I also just don't believe that she was a tremendously accomplished Mm. person uh, in the course of her professional life. Trump is the most unqualified president the United States has ever had, by a distance. The most unqualified before him was George Bush Jr., Uh, This guy is much worse. George Bush Jr. at least had several moderating influences in his life. He came through this kind of Republican, grandee, familial dynasty where he grew up with all of these... Finishing school of sorts. 
he grew up with all of these people around him who actually were, you know, very accomplished people like James Baker and folks like that who actually knew what was going on in the world. You might have agreed with him, but at least they were professionals. Trump has gone bent over backwards to basically asset strip um, all of American corporate, the corporate world, and put them into places that had previously been occupied by people who actually knew what they were doing. The perfect storm of Trump is the fact that at the same time, there is a Republican-dominated Congress and Senate and the chance now for a Republican-dominated Supreme Court. And I think any concerns that people might have had that Trump was well capable of appointing somebody who was absolutely unqualified to the Supreme Court just because he passes the, te- the oh, sorry, passes the litmus test of having been agreeable to Trump's Tea Party fringe supporters is now very plausible. So I, I do think we're going to be in for a somewhat difficult time. One thing I will say... I believe it is likely he will have a steep learning curve. Uh, I think a lot of what has gone on in the first couple of weeks of his office is him flexing his muscles and showing, I made outrageous promises, I'm actually going to follow them. He has to learn on the job, and I suspect he will. I hope he does, and I hope he isn't the president for a second term. John, I'm sorry, but this guy doesn't have capability to learn. I mean, he, he has said he does not read. He doesn't read. How can he learn? All he does, this is like a reality television show, right? So we have Act One, Trump, chaos, destruction, Mm -hmm. Steve Bannon, distracting everybody, making everybody afraid. Steve Bannon, who we know, what's the ultimate goal of his white nationalist movement? Is a white European Christian state. Get rid of anybody in America who doesn't fit that bill. They've just started that. That's Act One, okay? So they get what they want. Act Two, what is that? Pence and Ryan come riding in as the saviors because Trump is so unstable, they force him to resign. So Pence and Ryan, what do they do? They come in and they kind of go, we're terrific, aren't we? Everybody goes, thank God the bad, crazy guy is gone, right? But they're going to pursue their own agenda. Trump Trump was primarily a marketeer when he was running for the Republican... He's a New York salesman. That's all he knows. He's a huckster. He was was a marketeer. When he was running for the Republican nomination, he knew what constituency he had to play to. Now, Margaret, like me, we're all New Yorkers. I was born in Brooklyn. I lived in New York a good chunk of my life, and I I lived there certainly for a big chunk of the 80s and 90s when when Trump was rising to prominence. In his 30 years in public life, before he became a politician, he never really showed any sign of being an extremist on anything. He just showed himself as being a buffoon, a showman, in truth, a not always very successful business person. But he wasn't, in truth, uh, somebody who was, you know, uh, vocally anti-gay, anti-minority, none of those things. He wasn't. So I actually think that for the time he was running for office, he had been advised that the way to get the Republican nomination, and remember, people talk about the Electoral College disconnect from the popular vote. That was the reason the Democrats lost. It wasn't that they ran a bad campaign. They managed their strategy badly, and they didn't quite realize that they could win 2 or 3% extra, and all of those polls we were seeing week after week after week and still lose the election. They never thought that mm. one through. Well, that was arrogance on their part. And I, I want to bring in Aon in just a moment, but I, I think just to listen to what Trump said before we did, because you, you've been in government, you've dealt with immigration issues, you know what what is discussed uh, internationally. This is uh, the president speaking from the Oval Office on Friday when he was asked if the US government was prepared to implement that immigration executive order that has led to these people being effectively banned from re-entering the US. Totally. And is it a Muslim ban? Totally. It's not a Muslim ban, but we're totally prepared. It's working out very nicely. You see it at the airports. You see it all over. It's working out very nicely. And we're going to have a very, very strict ban, and we're going to have extreme vetting, which we should have had in this country for many years. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate Using a new word, nicely. I don't think I've actually heard him use nicely, and his vocabulary is quite limited. Um, 
would you ever have understood the concept of extreme vetting in that context, Dion? Well, there already is extreme vetting. I mean, anybody who wants to travel or get, or get refugee status or apply for asylum in any country, anywhere in the world, there is extreme vetting. Getting refugee status is a sacred international status, which is not handed out uh, willy-nilly. Um, what Trump has done on, fr- on Friday, his press conference with Theresa May was dominated with questions about where do you stand on torture? What's your view on, on, on having a Muslim ban? I mean, this, this was on, by the way, also on Holocaust Memorial Day, where these various different themes and discussions were taking place. Now, I'm kind of with Margaret on this one. I mean, whenever Trump does something outlandish, and this is outrageous what he has done, absolutely outrageous. This includes people with green cards. The reaction to it has been in many ways inspiring to me because you see images of, of, of JFK Airport and thousands of protesters and they're chanting that the men and they're, and they're singing the, the old civil rights songs are, are coming back into vogue. But whenever Trump some, does something like this, I'm always wondering what's, he, what's really behind what's this? He, what's he hiding? What's he hiding? Because, for example, when this whole Hamilton thing started, when he was criticising those who spoke after the Hamilton um, Broadway show about Mike Pence and all the rest of it, and he went in a Twitter, Twitter storm about it, the very same day he just paid off a 25 million lawsuit against Trump University. So there's always something else happening. And the people around Trump are very serious about their politics. I don't think Trump necessarily is an ideal He's a, he's a salesman, he's a buffoon, but there's some really nasty individuals around him. Um, you know, Bannon is a classic example. And the whole thing that they want to do is a cultural war of this is a white Christian uh, state. We're quite happy for people who aren't white and Christian to live here, but just as long as you realise who's in control oh, and yeah. who really owns this land. And what brings it into focus for us in Ireland is that what happens when you have people with dual citizenship between Irish, um, you know, the uh, Irish citizenship and these seven countries that have been mentioned? But what the, happens if you have they're sorry, not going to be allowed in? Yeah, what Based happens if you what have if you have Syrian refugees living here in Ireland who have refugee status entitled to be here who are now no longer entitled to go to, to the states? It brings our view of this man into sharp focus, particularly with St. Patrick's Day around the corner and the diplomatic relations that we have with this country. I want to come back to that, but the point I think you made it earlier, John, was that Trump said a lot of things that he wants to be seen as as, as, as implementing them, but we heard the language that he used there <coughs> in the Oval Office on Friday, saying it's not a Muslim ban. We are not banning Muslims, but let's listen to what he said when he was on the campaign trail because he said something very different back then. Donald J. Trump is calling for... Now, listen, you got to listen to this one because this is pretty... Pretty heavy stuff, and it's common sense, and we have to do it. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. We have no choice. We have no choice. You see, at that point, we all thought, well, this guy's never going to get elected based on that type of policy. But should we be more worried now, John, that he's trying to dress the language up? Fair enough, this will be overturned by courts and this will go to the Supreme Court or whatever. And it will not stand at the moment. But should we be more worried now that the crazier policies that he was talking about are now becoming reality for the people of America. I, I think there are two different issues here. One is the refugee issue, and I, I think the Americans are very likely to introduce some kind of a long-term, quite restrictive refugee policy. I think that's quite possible. Mm. And I'd have grave misgivings about that when you consider 
the, the rich tradition of America having been, you know, you only have to look at the movie Casablanca to realize that that tapped into the zeitgeist at the time of the 40s, that people who were oppressed all across Europe and under Nazi domination and in a subsequent generation, Jewish people who were oppressed by communists in Russia and Eastern Europe really, really wanted to go to America. And it's, it's awfully sad to see that happening. The second issue is this temporary immigration ban. I believe this is temporary. I believe it will be chucked out. It's not going to last more than the 90 or 120 days. And I think the fact that he, 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 he gave himself this out, and it was very interesting, his, his spokesperson, Katrina Pearson, who was, who was appearing in multiple, multiple interviews from during the election campaign, kept making this point, we'll do it until we can figure out what, what's going on, which, of course, given the collective IQ of some of the people who are doing the figuring could take quite a long time. But the reality is, I believe it will be overturned. I think it is giving incredibly bad message right now. I mean, completely aside from the ethical and moral aspects of taking legal American citizens or innocent people and denying them access to the United States, there will in the next week or two be a torrent of visual imagery, such is social media, such are, of, you know, people being taken off airplanes, people being turned away from airline desks. And it is, it is going to Already, there's a very powerful campaign going on but on Twitter. But there is, like, and uh, we, we we saw a million pe- millions of people marching around the world on the day after Trump was elected. But I have to ask the two Americans who are with us, Al, and we'll come to you on this in a moment. But mm-hmm. is this all of this craziness resonating with the core base, the people who actually believe Donald Trump, who wanted him there? I mean, is there a case that there are millions of Americans walking around now with significant buyer's remorse, or is what Donald Trump is doing? making them go, yes, we are making America great again. And that's far more terrifying than than us sitting around procrastinating about what Trump is doing. Well, I think that there are a lot of people who vote, who, I think there are a lot of people who voted for Trump uh, for economic reasons, right? I mean, they thought, well, look, you know, Republicans, they're going to, they're going to cut my taxes, uh, smaller government. If I'm making money, it's because I'm a winner and I get to take more of my taxes home if I vote for a Republican. You know, this whole thing that a lot of people voted for Trump, just, they're just inherently racist. Mm-hmm. It's isn't really true. Not That's true just not no. the case at all, okay? And I really do believe that the vast majority of the American people are positively sickened and disgusted by what's going on right now. But at the same time, you know, they want to see tighter controls. Americans are sick and tired for paying for everybody else's wars abroad, right? America, America's the world's policeman. That annoys a lot of Americans, whether you're Republican or Democrat. So there's a bit of that. He is playing into that zeitgeist. But I do have to say again that we need to follow the money. Bloomberg, if you're familiar with Bloomberg, every trader, everybody working on Wall Street, they have a Bloomberg terminal. In the Financial Times yesterday, Trump's tweets are now going to show up on your Bloomberg terminal. Why is that? Because Trump can move stock markets and economies with a tweet, okay? This is about money. So say Trump's buddies, he says, look, tomorrow I'm going to tweet about this, about Boeing stock, this stock, that stock. They can easily make money. Isn't that called market manipulation? That's number one. Number two, private Privatization. You take public resources and goods, and what do you do? You privatize it. You're selling it to your buddies, just like Putin has done in Russia. Number three, these infrastructure projects, the wall, who builds that? What does Donald Trump do for a living? He's a builder. Who are all his friends? They're builders. They're going to benefit from the The wall won't be built. But what about the highways? What about all those things? All his buddies are going to get these contracts. He's already cutting regulations, the Environmental Protection Agency, so that he can put pipelines through, destroy people's drinking water with no consequences whatsoever. Putin, they're talking about unfreezing Putin's assets. Why is that? Follow the money. John? Is it that dystopian? I see. I don't think he's that smart. I mean, I, I think <laughs> it's I think, not him. It's his billionaire buddies. They're just using him. He's, he's the, the Trojan puppet, he's horse. He's the puppet. Yeah, the Trojan horse. 
I, I don't I don't think he's that smart. I, I don't think I, I don't give him credit for being that calculating. I think he's tapped into a very visceral populist zeitgeist that a certain chunk of an, an uneducated, uninformed chunk of the American population disproportionately buy into, which looks for simplistic views. It's all those goddamn Arabs doing, we'll fix, we'll sort them out. It's those goddamn welfare. You know, this, this is a very simple way of looking at the world, and it requires more intelligence and nuance. And I think he just realized that there were a lot of votes in critical states that could get him elected that way, and I think he's pandering to that. Um, I, 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 I must say... I, I I do think that he's very like George Bush. George Bush Jr. is a very similar president. He tapped into very similar. And, and the, the whole basis of the 2003 uh, Iraq war was based on this grotesque simplification that we were bombed in 2001, we were bombed on September 11th, and it's collectively the fault of those guys over there that wear those towels on their heads in the Middle East. This seemed to be the view that they had. And, and there was no nuance as to the fact that Iraq was never involved in September 11th. I mean, people just couldn't, and you will still hear Americans saying that, I'm glad we sorted out Iraq in 2003 because they're responsible for the Twin Towers, when secular Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with it. And something similar is going on with Trump. And I agree with uh, Margaret that it is being parsed with exclusions because there are some countries he has not put on the list because it absolutely would not suit uh, Tillerson and all the other guys who are involved in the oil industry to suddenly take a very big anti-Saudi Arabian position Mm. in the American government. So Saudis are never going to appear on that list. I want to talk about the international reaction to this because Theresa May, I don't know if you saw Theresa May yesterday, she was at a a, a Mm. press conference in Turkey and she was at sea, completely at sea because she wouldn't condemn uh, what Trump had done. And then she had to issue a statement late last night when she did say, oh, by the way, I don't agree with what Donald Trump has done on refugees and people from those seven Muslim majority countries. Angela Merkel seems to be the only European leader that's standing up to him by saying it's not justified to put people from specific backgrounds or faith under a general suspicion to combat terrorism, which is the most obvious statement in the world, but there's a reluctance to say it. And Aon, we've had no noise from the Irish government about this at all. Um, we, we don't know where the government stands on this. If there has been a statement, it must have eluded me. Would it be the opportunity now for Enda Kenny and March and the Shamrock Bowl to do something, to make point? Well, there's two things I just want to say, say first of all, about how this is um, uh, rolling out in America. I mean, if you listen to what Larry Donnelly says about the about the Trump voter, the assumption that this person has always voted Republican and, and, and just got an extra bit of wind behind their sails is wrong. I mean, there's plenty of people who voted for Obama in, in 08 and, and 2012 and Bill Clinton previously who voted for Trump because he offered change, he offered something different, he offered to shake up of the system. If you look at your average voter, white collar, white guy in, in Scranton who always voted for Joe Biden, Joe Biden's people, they would have voted for Trump because he, he offered something different. So there's a danger that the Women's March or, or the protests in, in JFK are amongst people who would always have that viewpoint anyway and what are they doing to change the minds of those who, 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 who listen to Trump and maybe somewhere in the back of their minds like this idea of a Muslim ban because maybe it just uh, remarkably makes them feel in some level safer. Even the fact, it's interesting, 1.5 million Americans have been killed by gun crime since 1968. Five, five have been killed by refugees. But that's not what, uh, what, what Donald Trump and his people want Want people to feel about. They want something for, for them to, be, to be afraid of something and they found it. On the Irish re- reaction, um, I made a speech in the Shannon last November about the Irish government's reaction to the election. And it ended up getting 30 million views worldwide because I think I tapped into a sense of disillusionment 
with the political mainstream reaction to something that is inherently wrong uh, and the stances that this person is taking. We have a diplomatic relationship uh, with America. We have 50,000 illegal uh, Irish in, in America. We have a platform. We get that platform every year. There's a, there's a phrase here in the Sunday Business Post in the editorial which says, it behoves uh, us to do business with Trump, but that does not mean we have to like it and does not mean we have to do so silently. So there is a kind of a, a sense online in Ireland that Andy Kenny should not go to the White House. He should not present the shamrock. I think I have a different view. I have a more nuanced view. I think that uh, the Irish diplomatic machine should go to the White House. It should go through that. But that offers Enda Kenny a fantastic historic opportunity to stand on the platform beside this man and to say that Ireland is a country of immigrants. We understand sectarianism. We are we are the country of coffin ships. We are the country of, of division. We are the people who have sought refuge all over the world. And on that basis, it could be a very, very strong thing for him to say. Now, there are what other... happens if Trump erupts as they're afraid he'll do with Prince Charles? Well, you know, there's a time in history when you have to do these things. If you don't go, it just becomes something that just didn't happen. If you do, it's an opportunity to do it in a particular way. Okay. Now, uh, there are there are other people who I know who are who are want to use that uh, and uh, uh, that occasion to send a different message uh, around the world on St Patrick's Day what what the Irish condition is and and what the Irish story is. There are a lot of uh, people around Trump with Irish names. Bannon is one. Conway is another. Spicer, Spicer is another. Uh, Ryan is another. Oops. Who wants who wants to give a certain. A certain perception of the Irish American uh, reality, and I think it's it's, it's go, up for should, other should people go, to give a different message. I, I want to uh, say one message. thing about, about Vice President Pence. He's like an insurance policy that Trump will ne- neither be assassinated nor impeached. He's like <laughs> it's this extraordinary, you know, certainty that he has. Well, he knows what he's doing. Of course, he should go, and he in a quiet moment he can convey our. But I mean, but I, I mean, this, the question, Jonathan, I'll have to ask of you is: I mean, should we cut diplomatic relations with Saudi Arabia? I mean, I mean, whatever you can say about Trump, he's not going to run a regime which is going to be remotely as hideous as the Saudi Arabian regime. I mean, should we cut relations with them? Should we refuse to have anything to do with them? Margaret, should we take every single minute we meet a Saudi we, Arabian we, we, government official? We have official? two people who say he should go but make a point, Margaret. Oh, he should definitely go. Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of the people that are in this new administration are Irish-American. Unfortunately, their views are certainly um, uh, racist and problematic, and uh, Trump is problematic. But Enda Kenny has to go, and there are a few reasons. Access, okay? You have to go and have the quiet word if you can, but... It's behind the scenes where Irish politicians and Irish-American politicians are fantastic. So start tapping those networks to have those conversations about what, what can go on. What's interesting and wasn't picked up on the media last year, or sorry, last week, was uh, Speaker Ryan gave a talk uh, about um, American companies going abroad and becoming other companies. In his own constituency, a company called Johnson Controls moved to Ireland. He said, this is a U.S. company that is now an Irish company. They're in Cork. And he mentioned two companies. So for Speaker Ryan, this is personal. So we're already on the on the radar for the United States for being a place that's taking American jobs. So we have to go. It's very okay, important. It's very simple. If he drops the tax rate to 15, we drop it to 10. That's what we should do. We have to. If it's the marketplace for keeping companies in Ireland, if it's based on having an attractive corporate tax rate, we make sure that ours is the most attractive. And we hope that the Brits don't uh, drop theirs lower if they're trying to become a tax haven on the back of Brexit. Uh, we'll talk about Brexit later on. We'll talk about Fine Gael as well. I have a poll running on Twitter whether Enda Kenny should go or not go. 52% of respondents say he should re- 
refused the invitation. 35% said he should go and criticise US policy, which I think is pretty much what the uh, panel is saying here. We will come back to John Crown, Margaret E. Warden, Aona Weirdon next, because uh, amid all this international brouhaha, Shafina Gale are talking about themselves. Interestingly, uh, Michael D. Higgins has released a statement this morning ahead of an event to mark Holocaust Memorial Day. It's a fairly lengthy statement, and I'm sure it is um, well-crafted to talk specifically about Holocaust Memorial Day, but uh, let us read a little bit from it. Remembering the Holocaust suggests an important lesson from which we can all draw wisdom. Remembering not only that, when fanned by fear and toxic prejudice, people are capable of unimaginable cruelty, but also that we must stay vigilant and have the courage to counter the rhetoric of fear-mongering and hatred. And he finishes the statements by saying, and let us recommit to the fight against the politics of fear and hatred in all its forms. Aon, is that a a guarded dig at what's going on in the US? Well, I I, I don't think, as I said earlier, you can, anybody can, can, can look at what happened in the Holocaust and and not draw parallels uh, around the sentiments that were used and the fear that was used in order to gain political advantage. There was a, a, a Daily Mail headline in 1938 saying German Jews flooding into this country. It's the same type of, of stuff that mainstream media in Britain are using day in, day out to stoke up fear. Uh, and it's what Trump is doing. Now, people say, oh, you're being very, that's very lazy kind of analysis to to to, to compare Nazi Germany with what's happening in, uh, in America. But let's be, let's be clear about what he's talking about. He's talking about torture. He's talking about using immigration as, as, in, uh, as a tool to stoke up fear. Uh, meanwhile, he's trying to dismantle the, the healthcare system. He's privatizing things. Um, so it, it is right and just for the president uh, of Ireland to speak about on this day when we have to be you know, remembering what caused the emotions that led to the Holocaust to, to call out for call out for what it is, and I think the uh, the president is absolutely right in doing so. So it's a little a little bit of a dig. Well, um, President Higgins doesn't do anything little. Okay. <laughs> Everything he does is very very uh, thought through in 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a quite comprehensive way. So I think what he's saying is uh, I don't think anybody could have a could have an issue with what he said. But but real life anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial is alive and well. I mean, you know, you can mm. draw all the parallels you want, but the reality of the exact same ideology of hatred, a hatred of Jews is still very strong in huge chunks of the world. It's being preached every weekend in places of worship throughout the world, and we cannot forget that either. And the voice uh, that carries such hatred is becoming a little louder, courtesy of the world and the connected world that we live in. Mm. I want to talk about Enda Kenny, because it's all over the papers this morning about uh, uh, Sinn Féin and and whether or not they could ever see themselves in government with Sinn Féin and Fine Gael, of course. And it all stemmed from this. This was an interview during the week with a couple of journalists. Enda Kenny threw himself into the bear pit uh, tried not to be bitten yeah I know but I said I wouldn't do business with Fianna Fáil uh, you know so like depending on the result that you gave as a member of the electorate uh, politicians have to work with the result um, so you know Sinn Féin seem to be being converted now to, uh, to a position uh, of changing their of changing their stance I don't see I don't see Fine Gael doing business with Sinn Féin uh, that's not going to arise in, in, under this administration in, in any event. Margaret E. Ward, when I listened to that, and I listened to it again this morning, and I tried, really tried to drill into where Enda Kenny stood up and said, I'm willing to go into government with Sinn Féin, and I still can't hear it. I, I, he, he 
if anything, pay them a small compliment that, in his opinion, they've moved down the road a bit. But there's no rush there that I could see. And why did Fine Gael all of a sudden start panicking? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> Politics? <laughs> I don't know. I'll leave it to the other two fellas in the room. Well, Aon, we'll go to you then. I can't believe you got away with that. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to. I, I got her on something else then. Come on. <laughs> um, I look. I I find it tedious. I, I I don't find this interesting on any level at all. We had a cabinet meeting on Tuesday. There were six items on it. Six items. This is this government is doing nothing. I'm in the Shannon, and there's there's hardly any legislation coming uh, before us. There's a, a poll. Sorry, are you, are you, you willing to admit the Shannon is less productive than it was before? Well, but I it's mean, not coming through the door. The legislation is coming through I mean, the door. They're both not productive. You know, I can only. Speak speak with authority at the moment on the channel because that's where he sits. But the, <clears throat> the reality is we're in complete legislative lockdown mm. right now. No initiative of any meaningful impact is going to happen with this kind of fractured political system. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, you're you're but I mean, the, the cabinet is not making decisions and any decision that has to be made is being long fingered. So, you know, there's a poll in the Irish uh, or the Sunday Business Post today which says pretty much the things are, the, the state of the parties is pretty much as it was, you know, three months ago, Fianna Fáil a little bit up, Fianna Gael a little bit down. Um, the fact that this is, is has garnered so much interest over the course of the week is, for me, utterly depressing. Yeah, we're on the on the verge of a uh, of, of a bus strike. We're just coming out of a chaos in the in the A and E. There's plenty of issues around homelessness we could we could still be talking about, and yet this is what dominates uh, people's uh, mindset. Uh, Sinn Fein are trying to you know uh, ingratiate themselves maybe with the with the wider political system and realise if they're going to get power, they, they need to go in with other, other political parties. Uh, Fine Gael had a kickback. There's an opportunity for Leo Radcliffe to, to, to state his opposition to it. I'm curing your joke here now, by the way, John, that you made outside about Leo Radcliffe and red lines. Well, I was very impressed that the former the former Minister for Transport was making a speech about the need for a new red line today. I thought it was the loose, <laughs> was the loose he was talking about. I was always going to wrap it off, yeah, but I had to this, hand it to back to you. If the politics thing doesn't work out, you and I could perhaps get a two-man show uh, thing going here, you know. Promote it. But that's my frustration is that this is is interesting for a political observer uh, and for columnists and all the rest but, but but when you have a cabinet that has six items on its agenda last Tuesday well, okay, um, look, that's, that's what that I find context, depressing right, and I have to just put this out there is this the media's fault, John? That this is look, this is on the front page of two of our national papers today because there's nothing else to talk has, about. Oh, for talk God's about. sake, the country is in a state of chassis on many different levels. Why are we talking about this kind of nonsense, John Crow? I, 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 I'm sorry, you're, you're getting me in a kind of a down phase of my life cycle right now. I left the Shannon uh, voluntarily uh, <laughs> last year and because I, you know, I, I exactly no regrets about having done it and hugely grateful for the honour of having had the opportunity to do it. But um, our politics are not very inspiring. I mean, and I, I think a lot of it is that we desperately need to have that much talked ideological realignment between the major parties so that we can actually have some, some shape to it because far too much of the energy at the moment the political energy is expended in sniping between two large parties that have identical policies on everything. They're Great. just not, yeah. not differentiable at all. And Labour and the Social Democrats need to mend their little marital tiff and get back together again. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael need to understand that within them there may be two parties aligned not as Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael currently are, but as a, perhaps a right-wing party and a centre-right party, something like that. Uh, and let us get on to real politics at that stage. Well, with the talking about real politics, and Margaret, you can come back in on this because it is business related. At the front of the Sunday Business Post today, move over Enda, we want a Brexit minister, says voters. It's one of the questions they asked in their poll, and it's one of the things that Enda Kenny says he's been kept very busy with, is because he is our minister for Brexit, despite the fact he's Taoiseach. 
do we need a separate minister for this? Do we need somebody who's going to steer this ship? Because it, at the moment, the, the, the fear you would have, there's a story inside about AIG uh, that they could come here, but they go to Luxembourg. And by, by not having specific political yeah, leadership, I mean, we're I don't know. Out. I mean, do we, do we really need a minister for this? Um, or uh, will we let the IDA do what the IDA does so well? I mean, the IDA is excellent about bringing companies into Ireland. They have a terrific track record. There are people from all over the world who come and try to learn what the IDA does. So I say, let them do their thing. At the moment in the papers, it said that both Bank of China and Sumitomo are thinking about uh, basing their uh, London operations here. Um, So I would say, look, absolutely give somebody a brief where they will help support the IDA and others to do what they do best to get out there, to negotiate, to get jobs here, to get more and more jobs here and say, we are a place that financial institutions can come where anybody can come. We're going to take advantage of that. But a minister... I'm not so sure about but that. Just be more optics. But we have it. It is optics. I mean, this is what happens when in politics sometimes they say, "Look, what we need to do is is to call whatever uh, the issue is an emergency, and that'll make people happier." Or we we get a particular minister in charge. It's the issue which is the uh, which is the problem, and and the solving of the issue or or dealing with the issue. I mean, we already have a minister for for European affairs, Dara Murphy. There's some somebody in that in that space. Um, my concern about the Brexit debate is that a huge portion of it is being dominated with, with border issues in Northern Ireland and the peace process and the Good Friday Agreement, and that's justifiable. But the impact on Brexit for ordinary workers in Dublin or Cork or Limerick or Galway uh, or employers, business uh, exports, that part of the debate I think is being lost. I think the Sinn Féin and this is what they're what they're about, and that's fair enough. Is is the reunification of the country and uh, and the border issues and that, that's grand. They're placing placing a huge amount of emphasis on that. Fianna Fáil are following them because they're in competition with them. But what's being lost in the debate is the impact, not just on the border region, which is absolutely imperative that we talk about it, but the rest of the country uh, and uh, and the impact that that's having, and also Ireland's view of Europe, because the rest of Europe seems to be going down a right wing rabbit hole. Uh, you look at Le Pen in France, you look what's happening in Italy, you look what's happening in Austria. I would be very concerned, and there's meetings taking place around the country, I have one in my own constituency uh, at the end uh, of February with a number of speakers, that we will go down the, the, the road of being anti-European as well. And I can understand people's sentiment about the ECB and the way they dealt with the crisis here, but Europe has been bloody good for Ireland. It's been good, bloody good for workers and for rights and for, and for rights across the board. And I think we need have to have to take well, stock of that uh, and, and, and re-engage ourselves with the given, European Given project. that the Sunday Business Post spent money on the poll, I better read you the result of, of the question when they asked Ireland should leave the EU, leave the EU if Brexit leads a hard border or trade barriers with the Republic and the North. Seventy percent say no, don't agree with that. We shouldn't leave the EU, and I think that the pro-EU sentiment is there, but there is the concern okay. about what else is rising so out. 30, there. So thirty percent say we should. Sixteen uh, percent strongly agree. Twelve uh, percent somewhat agree, and two percent don't know. Okay. But, but you know, sorry, but you know what we should be really, really thinking about here is not just Brexit. We should be looking at the big world global economic picture, realizing that we are in the perfect storm of what's going on in the United States, Brexit, Europe, everywhere else, right? We are so dependent on what happens in the rest of the world. We need a long-term strategy looking at how do we make sure that economically, that socially, that culturally, like, that we can survive this. I don't hear anybody talking about that. They go, oh, it's this, it's that. No, this is everything all together. This is the perfect economic storm. We're heading into another recession. 
We're heading into another recession. Just keep a look at the markers. You know, what are the indicators? Where do we go? Uh, what's happening? And even if you look at, say, you know, China and Japan are, are dumping American debt. Um, Russia is starting to, to buy it. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. There are potential trade wars from the United States with China. How is that going to impact on us? So I think let's look at the bigger picture. Let's not obsess about Brexit. And, and, and let's look at the and world, if we are, the if we are heading economy. into another recession, it could be possibly more divisive than the last one because the buffer zone of spending that we may have been able to cut back last time well, that, yeah. is not there anymore. It really isn't. Do you think we're going to have a global recession or are you referring to a specifically Irish one? Well, I, 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 I think, I think we're going to see a slowdown. So I think everything. So at the moment in the States, we're getting this big bump in the stock market and, you know, the American dollar is really strong. So, OK, you know, so so right now um, China and Japan are dumping debt because they think actually Trump will do OK for the American economy. But Russia, who was saying, oh, yes, America, we love you. We think you're great. They're actually buying debt, which means that they're they're saying well, Russia's mm. a tiny Russia's kind of irrelevant. Russia's a tiny economy. Yes. I mean, Russia's yeah. got a smaller but the economy other two, than the UK I mean, has. Like China holds Much a third more. of U.S. debt. Yeah. Right? Well, the, this the, the is Chinese problematic. Serious mystery, but do you, do you think the American economy will do well or do poorly in the next four years under Trump? Where, I, where, what would your guess be about the unemployment rate? Oh, I think, I think gro- we're going to be in rates. trouble economically. And this is what I think Act 3 will be, right? Mm. So I think Trump will be forced to design, mm. resign within two years. Pence and Ryan will ride in as the saviors. The economy by then will be in the toilet. Everybody will be freaking out. So what do you do traditionally in the United States if the economy is in the toilet and you can't figure it out? What do you do? Pence, by the way, is the guy who wrote the article after he'd been paid by the tobacco industry saying that smoking mightn't be bad for you. I mean, uh, you know. Yeah. I, he also I, thinks he can actually know, but, gay but people back to being straight. Yeah. Just uh, no, historically, but, but, what before, will happen? You start a war. Yeah. Before you people crawl back under the duvet in panic <laughs> sorry, guys, at the talk sorry. of this on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Watch lots of comedy. <laughs> go see i got to take a break. The Back to the papers, if we can, uh, Aon. A story that you would have championed when you were in government. Yeah. Injection centres. Sunday Business Post is saying uh, Dublin City Centre poised for first injecting centre in pilot project. It took yeah. a long time to come, but it looks like it is going to happen. Yeah, it was passed by Cabinet on the 15th of December 2015. And I was delighted when the new government came in that, uh, well, for one, that Catherine Byrne got the, got the job of Minister for Drugs. And also that um, in the programme for government is a commitment for the establishment of a, of, of a, of a pilot, which I think would then would be expanded to others around uh, around the country. So the legislation is due in front of the Iraqis in, in the coming weeks. We had the pre-legislative scrutiny at committee level there before Christmas. Effectively, it's going to save lives, Jonathan. We have the third highest overdose rate in Europe. And many people who die um, from heroin overdoses don't make the newspapers because there's a level of shame attached to it, there's a level of stigma attached to it, and on some level, people in Ireland feel it's their own fault. So nobody's ever died in, 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 a, in an injecting centre anywhere across Europe. There's eight of them across Europe. There's one in Sydney in Australia. And the idea is that somebody could could uh, come in rather than going behind a dumpster or, or, or a street corner uh, or down a laneway they, they'd be in a, in, in a centre which would show compassion uh, have medical supervision uh, and it would be the first footstep on the, on the road to recovery so it'll, it'll save lives and I'm delighted that Catherine Byrne and, and the government are, uh, are pursuing it that's the kind of thing that I think politics is important uh, about and people like myself who are in a party of opposition uh, want to be in a position to support uh, things that we feel are, are being done correctly and, and this is one of them OK and, and just to finish up 
up, uh, Margaret, the story I, I referenced... Uh, sorry, John, do you want to just jump in? Uh, I, I'm a huge supporter of a complete change in our attitude to drugs. Uh, in fact, I advocated when I was in the Shannon uh, that we should really have a serious thing about decriminalising uh, yeah. opioids because opioid addiction is a disease. Part of the treatment for opioid addiction is the administration of opioids, and you need to do this as safely as you can. We've had 60 years of the war on drugs. It has been a complete, unqualified, undiluted failure. All it has done is succeeded in transferring vast amounts of legitimate money into the hands of some of the worst people in the world. It's corrupted police forces. It's caused hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of deaths. Uh, and there really has to be a better way. And so often, Lynn Rowan, actually, the senator, are, are, are producing a bill at the moment uh, along the, to, to decriminalise uh, drug use um, at the moment along Portuguese lines, and we're hoping to get cross-party support for it. Billy a lot Mac- of the political uh, yeah. parties are, are moving that way. Billy McMahon, the, the Dublin yeah. footballer, is also talking about decriminalising heroin in Ireland based on, on, on something that happened uh, in his own family, which yeah. he's writing about in the paper today. And, and just briefly, Margaret, uh, AIB's bad loan blitz. Uh, how worried should people be if uh, they're going to offload all these bad loans? Is this the the next never, never finally coming back to catch people who are in difficulty? Yeah, I mean, the problem is, like, selling off a, a bad loan is not the problem, but it's what the people who then own the bad loan can do. And, I mean, what we've seen is that there's an awful lot of harassment um, of people, um, and and that's the problem. There don't seem to be any legislation, you know, legislation or anything around this that protects people. You know, these vulture funds are very aggressive. They're buying these loans because they want people to pay them and they'll do anything they can to get it in terms of phone calls, letters. You know, people are in a bad situation. I, w- I would worry about that. Uh, lots more detail on that. That's the front page story on the Sunday Business Post. But that is it uh, from the newspaper panel review. God knows what we'll be talking about next week. Uh, Trump may fire another 58 executive orders that will give us something else to talk about. But Professor John Crown, oncologist and former Senator Margaret E. Ward, a CEO of Clearing and business journalist and uh, Labour Senator Aon Reardon, thank you very much for joining us.